Well, hello everyone. Welcome again to Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. And we are again very thankful that you are here with us and you try you always support us, but at, at least liking it, um, sharing the different uh, um, episodes and definitely supporting our guests and all our different platforms, especially for me, Quantum Nurse, and also for um, Roy Colan, who continues, we both continue to upload or continue our podcasting. Okay, so we're really thankful for that. And we have one and only Matt Eret, and thank you, Matt, for being here. Always and a pleasure. <laughs> with Matt's brilliant mind, I've never seen any uh, host or any podcast who, especially new or old, or, or, old people when i say old people old acquaintances who knew who know who knew matt already who would not say that hmm, this is a, a this will be an exceptional conversation and with matt's brilliant mind and then working with another brilliant person his wife they come up always with something that is bringing the truth with all the lies that we've heard or we've studied, we've read before. So that's why it's extremely important. So Math, um, let me just ask you to please reintroduce yourself again, because it just makes sense to keep repeating what you've been doing, update our audience with everything that you have worked on before and working now, especially with your video documentary films from nine minutes to more. Okay, so. I'll yeah. Let okay. you do that. All right. And as always, your your introductions are most generous. Thank you so much. And um, and thank you guys. I, I always love chatting with all of you. And and so we're, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, to be very quick, I am uh, the founder and editor in chief of a Canadian geopolitical history magazine called the Canadian Patriot Review. And that's something I did, I set up back in 2012 as a periodical magazine that eventually turned into book publishing um, in order to satisfy what I thought was just lacking, which was a, an ability to situate Canada within some broader chemistry, historical, global. So I just found that what was out there was rather incompetent. So I tried to fill that uh, as best I could. Um, and coming out of that, the um, the experience sort of gave me a sense that what was really lacking wasn't a, a missing information from people in the who who were consuming alternative media, but rather um, there was there was the problem of the lack of of the metaphysical fight the the, the cultural dynamics where people because you know there's like this old saying it doesn't matter so much what you think about anything but more how you think about everything that matters, and we've all been processed through an imperial education cultural matrix which is reduced many people's ability to use the full power of their their power of reason um, to penetrate beyond the surface of things into causes. They just ask the wrong questions. A lot of our instincts are just kind of like uh, warped a little bit by virtue of just having been through it. Um, so my wife and I, we uh, we tried to deal with some of that in a, in a bit of an experiment, a pilot project we've been doing since 2019 called the Rising Tide Foundation to sort of deal with, well, looking at, at at the battlefield of the mind going back centuries if not millennia to the days even of, of Plato's creation of the school of Athens which was in in many ways part of a broader geopolitical battle that Plato was a part of as was his teacher Socrates against the infusion of sophists the the 
geopolitical operatives who managed the mystery religions, the mystery schools at the cult of Apollo at Delphi, right, which was a major uh, zone of control of wars. Leaders, kings, generals would give tribute to the, the cults of Delphi and their various branch offices such that, you know, a, a grouping of high priests would interpret the, the blabberings of a doped up uh, priestess, a Pythian uh, priestess who would just utter random stuff because she's high, right? This girl is just completely doped out of her head. And uh, they would interpret that as the messaging of Apollo or other gods who would then tell the kings or the generals, who do you make peace with? Who do you go to war with? And you could just see how perfect it was kind of like Rand Corporation or uh, the Council on Foreign Relations on steroids, right? Like the amount of influence you have on manufacturing wars from superstitious idiots with a lot of political power was fantastic for the oligarchy. But as Plato alludes in, in some of his, his dialogues, as well as in his letters, um, to his uncle, uh, or no, his cousin, I think, uh, Dion, <clears throat> that uh, that it, it's understood that these these mystery schools were organizing cults for the oligarchy to manage the um, the wars, the 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 sophistry, the fit. The by by sophistry, I just mean what we deal with when we when we listen to Justin Trudeau or Barack Obama opening their mouths and speaking. It's you, you use flowery language to make the false appear true so that you can groom the, the mob to, uh, to beat in the same frequency and acquiesce to their own doom. That's what was happening with Gorgias, Protagoras, a lot of the sophists who were teaching and training for a price. The elites, the, 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 the children of the elites of Athens, how to use the art of rhetoric to uh, the art of persuasion for their own political gains without any consideration for the love of truth. So Plato sets up his academy as an as an organizing um, instrument to do battle against this by trying to create people who truly love truth and love humanity and love God. Um, and that was sort of the point of that academy. And it, 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 play, it played a very important role in many geopolitical operations um, after it set itself up in the what was it? It's around 18, must have been around, it's 380 or so uh, BC. And uh, it was eventually corrupted, but many leading people like Xenophon, who led the, the march of the 1,000 or 10,000 into Persia um, and, and, and helped lead the survivors out of Persia as part of the, uh, the, the, the war against, I think it was Xerxes II, using Cyrus the Younger as his... Uh, who was an who Xenophon worked with as an as his advisor of this person who had who was the rightful heir to the Persian Empire, but also a good philosopher king himself who had been trained by Plato's uh, students. Um, that all that didn't work out so well. But all that to say, there was this throughout history. You always have these schools, whether it's Saint Augustine working through his um, networks of schools to create philosopher kings. Who was Augustine himself was from North Africa, but he was a, a self-professed Platonic Christian. He used the Platonic method. Um, Cicero earlier on had a whole network of, uh, of students that he had organized, although he had to put more of his time into politics directly, so he didn't get to cultivate that as much as he wanted to. Um, Erasmus, same thing. So there, Benjamin Franklin had his juntas and his, his uh, program as well. So we, we tried to sort of study some of the techniques of how this, this kind of works and apply that as best as we could with our Rising Tide Foundation in order to bring back the better approach to classical humanist teaching by going to original writings 
of great thinkers who made discoveries and simply read their writings. It's not hard. Just don't go to Wikipedia. Don't read about what somebody said, you know, uh, that a great mind did. Just read the great mind. They write, they wrote their thoughts down. You could read Benjamin Franklin. You know, people could do, they could read Johannes Kepler. And we learned some of this by our, our association with the, the LaRouche organization, um, which we I was involved with for 10 years, Cynthia, a little bit less. But we did get a good opportunity to, to get Lyndon LaRouche's um, assessment because he put forth sort of a curriculum for a period. And for a few years, we were really immersed with that curriculum. So that's what gave us this idea. It didn't It's not something we just generated ourselves, but we recognized this works. It works damn well. Read original writings. Re replic replicate in your own mind how great thinkers thought and you find start when, the more you do that when you read Leibniz's writings and Kepler and Ben Franklin and Nicholas of Cusa and Erasmus and Augustine and Plato you start seeing that there's a very similar well that everybody is drawing from and there's a very similar mode of thinking that fruitful thinkers use when they're tapping into um, a discovery pa uh, process versus the the sorts of sophistry whether it's Many, many of the great thinkers were told to respect and cherish and worship like the modern secular godheads of science or, in, you know, um, enlightenment dynamics are actually frauds. When you actually look at the way that they that John Locke, the great, you know, philosopher John Locke um, generated his expositions or you look at uh, Thomas Hobbes or Adam Smith or John Stuart Mill or many of the, the godheads of the current secular, like I said, I'll call it a priesthood of, of Western science and, and philosophy. It's garbage. The, the Anything good that they said is you'll always be able to find was stolen from somebody before them who said it much better in a more truthful manner. Um, and that includes even like Isaac Newton and his so-called discovery of gravity was discovered actually by Kepler 80 years earlier. And when Kepler does it, he doesn't use the word gravity. He uses the word har harmony and coherence. And you could find that by reading Kepler's writings. And he's describing, Kepler's describing what becomes the inverse square law that is just boiled down to a mathematical formula and applied and associated with this autistic creature who was a sociopath, Isaac Newton, who was the, 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 <laughs> the lead, the lead um, um, warden. The, the master warden of the mint of the Bank of England when the Bank of England was set up as part of the takeover of of of, Brit of Britain itself and Britain became an empire as, as a private central bank. Isaac Newton, the occultist, black magician, um, was the guy who they simply selected as being the the conduit who would then we would they would attribute by the we by they I mean the the oligarchical grand designers that were taking control of England, turning it into an empire would attribute all of the discoveries made by people like Leibniz on the calculus, like Huygens on optics and um, and, Kep and Kepler on optics and gravity to this character, Isaac Newton. And they've done this again and again. Um, so anyway, that that's, that's something that has helped me and my wife uh, work through both what we have been trying to do with the Rising Tide Foundation with, as well as a broader analysis uh, and the books that we've written, the, the types of approach to re-untangling some of the Gordian knots of, of history um, and that that feeds into our analysis of current events. What is the multipolar fight? Is there a real fight? Is it controlled opposition? Is it authentic? So anyway, that's a long introduction. I'm sorry for the rant, but that's 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 where where I'm coming from. 
So what primarily I've been learning from my uh, from Matthew is that we really have to take a responsibility to our own education. And when he says go down to the roots of what we're reading and what we're looking at. So sometimes I, there's many things and many names and events that I don't know. And he mentions, I Google that myself, I searched that myself. So, and then if you are if you subscribe to his Substack newsletter or connect with him in this internet, um, in his website, the Rising Tide Foundation, Canadian Patriot. So he, he yeah, patiently and regularly, diligently sends all this wonderful newsletter. And then it's really up to you to study it and you know study well. And then when so when you are going when I'm listening to other people, especially in person, and you know you're listening to even the not to the alter alternative media who they themselves is confused of many things that's happening, Matthew. And that's why I said, okay, maybe it because we've been hearing about the BRICS, the Belt and Road in, Initiative. And of course, just before you were talking about the five eyes i said oh i've never heard that one before so i thought maybe this is a good topic and that we could continue with uh and help help please help us matthew to understand more and to our audience and matthew is not just in good in words but as i as he, he mentioned he, he you know he's creative enough to imagine and follow his dream of making films. So that's, that's his dream as well. And he's creative enough to see, I appreciated his nice shirt that is, you know, not just a regular shirt, but it tells you something. So, oh, okay, yeah, that, Matthew. That so from a, a friend of mine um, in British Columbia, who's a graphic designer, and he really likes as well, just like I do, the idea of the uh, the rail line, the, the old fight for a rail line connecting the USA and Canada to Russia uh, through the Bering Strait. So he, he sent me uh, a little gift of something he designed um, as part of the subliminal messaging when I'm walking down the street that people will want to develop a, a tunnel <laughs> with rail across the Bering Strait, I, I imagine. And, um, and we can, but yeah, we can thank all you. use it for the intention. Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the question on the five eyes is important. And I, I know before Edward Snowden um, made his leap uh, out of the USA as, a, as an NSA whistleblower, people's idea in general was very low. My idea of it was very, very vague. Um, it was very, it's a very secret institution that uh, was largely put into motion in, uh, in 1946. March 6th, 1946 was the day the UK-USA signals agreement was signed. And that was also, as, as I say in this new documentary, which another friend, I've, 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 you're right, I've, I've, I've had it in my heart to produce documentaries for many years, and I've just never had the time, the ability, the skill set to properly do it well. Um, so I was very fortunate to meet a, collaborate, a colleague of mine, uh, a new friend, um, during the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. Um, who had his own podcast. He had his own show called Super Spreaders. His name was Jason Dahl, is Jason Dahl. And uh, he had me on his show and uh, and he sent me a little promo to advertise the upcoming interview that was maybe going to be seen by maybe a thousand people, right? It wasn't going to be like a huge, huge show, but he, he put so much work into this promotion, this promo of a 10 minute, like full fledged video. And I was like, oh my God, you've got all the skills I've been looking for. 
So we've been working together in, in just taking some of the stories that Cynthia and I have been writing and turning them into more multimedia uh, productions, some big, some smaller. The, the most recent one you've referred to is on the the ugly truth of NATO, CSIS, and the Five Eyes. So that gave us a chance to sort of revisit some of the work we've done, make some more research on it. And the idea was to just get across, well, like we Canadians and Americans are being sold that their intelligence agencies are these patriotic institutions, right, that just care so much about our freedoms and our democracy against big, bad, commie or authoritarian Russian or Chinese uh, influence that have infiltrated and are trying to subvert us from within. And the FBI has written their reports blowing the whistle on on Russian uh, election interference and and you know more recently in Canada we've had the Canadian version of the, of the CIA called CSIS the Canadian Security Intelligence uh, Service which produced a, a classified report which got leaked to the media nobody's read the report but I mean it's just been feeding the frenzy of the news cycle every day every bloody day and it's it's driving Canadians of all walks left right socialist right wing everybody's driven into an, an anti-china frenzy because we are told that there's this irrefutable evidence in this classified report that nobody has seen by our patriotic intelligence agency that has proved that the Chinese CPC has like put their puppet Justin Trudeau in power and uh, and it's working. It's wor I'm seeing people just turn into like, you know, their, their minds just can't work anymore and they're, they're becoming weaponized, uh, you know, uh, McCarthyite like throwbacks from the Cold War really quickly in front of my, like it's happening quick. So we made this video just to try to get across, well, what the hell? We can't talk about the content of the report because nobody's seen it. It's classified. However, what we can talk about is, well, what the hell is the CSIS thing that we're all being told to trust that that's generating these things? So, you know, we made a series of videos. We did the previous one on Russia Gate on the FBI collusion with, with MI6 to overthrow Donald Trump, uh, which is still underway as far as just making shit up about, you know, Russian interference. Uh, we did a previous one, a small one on uh, on Chinese uh, police stations, which is another another thing that's been turned into a fact by just repetition. But when you actually scratch on the fact and look for the evidence, like it, it all comes down pretty quickly. It's all just all of the sources for that international network of Chinese police stations run by Beijing. When you actually like look for the source, like where's the evidence? It comes down to like one think tank in Spain that uh, is run by a British guy. Uh, called Safeguard Defenders that produced this flimsy report anybody can read, but nobody reads it because we just want to be spoon-fed from the mainstream media what to feel. Uh, but you read the damn thing, and it's just, yeah, it's like 30 pages of, like, anonymous sources that you can't really prove because it's anonymous, right? Uh, um, there's no actual evidence of anything that they're saying being true, but they speak at least with confidence, so that's enough for some people. Anyway, there's nothing there. And you, then you look at like, well, what is this this safeguard defenders? And you quickly discover, oh, shit, this is a, a National Endowment for Democracy, European Union funded organization. And for those who don't know, the NED is a CIA cutout. It, it, the, one of the former heads of the NED openly said that what they do is exact today is exactly what the CIA was doing covertly uh, 40 years ago. So that's what they've been doing to overthrow governments around the world. It's, 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 it's like a, it is what it is anyway, but yet we still believe. So we, we go through that in the, in the little video. So this is part three of a series and it turned into a longer thing because we realized that to deal with, well, what is CSIS, the Canadian intelligence, you know, the Canadian version of the CIA, we had to like unpack more than, than we bargained for, but it worked out. It's like 25 minutes and it, it, it involved taking you us through, well, 
what happened with the death of Roosevelt and his allies who wished in 1945 they were working very hard to create a new economic system based around U.S.-Russia-China collaboration. That was supposed to be the the pillar of what the post-war system was going to be. But Roosevelt dies while in office, very shady. All of those plans get sabotaged. His enemies in the State Department, what becomes the Deep State Department, take over control, many of whom are Rhodes Scholars like Dean Rusk. Um, uh, oh, there's there's a big list of Rhodes Scholars and Fabians who, who are, you know, sitting just waiting to take control, which they do when Roosevelt dies and, and Truman comes in. Churchill is brought in to unveil the new, the new grand design is going to be the Iron Curtain that he lays out on the same day, March 6th, 1946 is when the same day that they signed a UK-USA signals agreement that that integrates US intelligence, especially the NSA, with the British Command Center, GCHQ, that does signals encryption, uh, but also broader counterintelligence that also involves an integration of MI6, MI5 in Britain, along with the CIA and FBI in and Navy intelligence with the NSA. Um, Canada soon joins in, so does Australia, so does New Zealand. With their, they have partner organizations as well. In Canada's case, it's CSIS. That's later brought. It, well, first, it's it's um, a branch of the RCMP, and something known as the the Communication Security Establishment uh, of Canada, the CSE. That's what what's first brought online in Canada, and and that that becomes integrated. So it's it's sort of like an international dragnet that Edward Snowden exposed with his uh, his data leaks. Uh, or his leaks that he that he gave uh, as a whistleblower to the world through uh, Glenn Greenwald starting in 2012, 2013. And so um, this had a few functions to it. Number one, it allows for, since, since civil liberties, there's laws that prevent one nation's government from spying on its people or doing even counterintelligence work on its own people, um, they, they, they found a, a sort of loophole that allows for the British to spy on the Americans, the Americans to spy on the British and the Canadians, the Canadian uh, intelligence to spy on the Americans, and vice versa, for, and and all that for the New Zealanders and Australians, right? So everybody can spy on each other's population, um, and then share it in this centralized command structure, both for nominally looking for security threats, but also as came to be increasingly understood throughout the Cold War, was also spying on uh, Russia, China, their allies during the Cold War, and that continued. And even like Angela Merkel, not that long ago, had to kick out the CIA office um, managers from from Berlin because you know it went public, and she probably already knew about it. But it went public, and that was unacceptable. That her phone was being surveilled by the CIA, uh, as as was every single member of her cabinet and government. So that became a bit of an embarrassment. So they had to give off the veneer of being a sovereign German government. At least the image has to be community. So they kicked out the CIA. They they were they quickly were brought back in, of course. But um, so th- th- this expanded, and and we do this in the video, the the documentary, which I guess will people if they want to watch it can click in the description box of of today's chat and watch this little twenty five minute video and share it. It, it. it makes sure that people see that the Five Eyes is not some self contained thing but rather that it is the eyes and ears and in many ways in arms, fingers in some ways of um, NATO's secret armies. So it's part of NATO and NATO was caught and the former prime minister of Italy, Andriotti, gave a speech 
um, as a limited hangout of, of sorts in 1992, um, finally admitting what people were already kind of discovering over the years, that NATO actually had a secret international army that had managed terrorist operations um, under the veneer of communist terror front groups, whether in Germany or Italy, like the Red Brigades or in, in we, 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 we put a lot of effort into the Canadian branch of this thing because that's the nature of the video that we made. It was like, well, what is CSIS? Where does it come from? What is it a part of? So the Canadian branch was what was managing the FLQ, the Front de Libération de Québec that, that sent mailbox bombs throughout the 1960s is creating a climate of terror. Um, also targeted assassinations were done under the veneer of this thing. So people like Aldo Moro, the prime minister of Italy in the 70s, who was trying to create a coalition between the center and the and the left um, that would have really broken the rules of the Cold War great game that was unpermitted. So he had to be, he, you know, he was kidnapped and killed by nominally one of these groups that we later discovered was managed by... Uh, <laughs> By by British and 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 Italian inte intelligence, and what makes this whole thing much more insidious, both in terms of the creation of NATO in 1949, as well as this this Gladio operation. Gladio is the name given to the Italian branch of this otherwise international operation. Is that it was run by unreconstructed Nazis and fascists, and we you know we we get across the, the that eight consecutive leaders of the Central European Command of NATO were unreconstructed Nazis. Um, including the Supreme Allied Commander Heusinger, Alfred Heusinger as well, um, who is formerly the Supreme Allied, uh, the Supreme Commander of, of the General Staff of the Nazi High Command, who went on to lead NATO in a, in a big way. And multiple departments at all times were, were staffed and managed by these unreconstructed Nazi, Nazis and fascists. And the same thing for Japanese fascists who became, didn't go, most of them didn't get punished after World War II, but got new jobs under Alan Dulles and the CIA. Uh, you know, the, the bio, America's entire bioterror complex grew out primarily of Hiro Ishii and Unit 731 from Japan that got jobs at Fort Detrick, Maryland, um, and were put to work doing things that we now in hindsight know involved experimentation on American citizens, uh, the Tuskegee experiments, but also in Korea and around the world as well as I believe the, 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 the array of over 300 Pentagon managed bio labs internationally today, people are all talking about Wuhan lab, Wuhan lab, no, 300 international US run Pentagon bio labs that have been engaged in ethnic uh, targeted bio pathogens um, for decades, explicitly stated by Victoria Newland's brother-in-law and the, the, Project for New American Century report from 2000, um, stating this is exactly what we need to do. And then they go to, and they, they manufacture anthrax as an inside job. And then they, that justifies a BioShield Security Act by Dick Cheney that then pours like $50 billion into like upgrading this thing in Ukraine and Georgia. And, and people just, they momentarily see this information. But again, it's, it doesn't matter what you think about anything, but how you think about everything. See, the people's minds have become so sloppy that they'll receive that. And then it'll just sort of like dissipate as people are told to no focus on the Wuhan lab, Wuhan lab, and, and they're, it's repeated um, to, to make obviously with the illusion that, you know, China created this thing as an evil bioweapon and Robert Malone is coming out circulating stuff saying that it's the Chinese who absorbed the Japanese hero Ishii into the Chinese commie bioterror complex. And, and they're the ones who are behind 
deploying this thing into the to destroy the collective, you know, democracies of the West. It's like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, what? This is entirely the the NATO and and Western intelligence that did this, and you're taking like, and it, you've got this projection, an inversion of reality to make it seem as though either Russia or China or some combination did all the things that we actually did, right? As we were working with unreconstructed Nazis throughout the Cold War, killing our own people. John F. Kennedy was not killed by the Chinese or the the Russians. He was killed by the CIA and and British intelligence. His brother Martin Luther King. Aldo Moro, the, the, the Quebec uh, deputy premier in 1970, uh, Pierre Laporte, who we go through in our video, was assassinated by this Gladio operation under the, the RCMP special operations branch in 1970 that brought in martial law. That was not done by Beijing or the Kremlin. It was done by London, by the forces that took over control of the U.S. military over JFK's dead body. And Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who was managing that entire shit show live on the ground in 1970, you know, that turned, that was unleashing mass arrests of people with, uh, with no habeas corpus under the first emergencies act in peacetime that was, and the set and the, the next one was done under his son's uh, control under the freedom convoy crackdown. Right. So again, it's, it, when uh, you just wanted to help people focus, 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 focus on like, well, what is the actual driving force of the evil that has done so much abuse to our, our, ourselves as human, as humans, and is, is really trying to like manipulate us in, into going into a, a very dark place using the context of a crisis of the breakdown of the system that they themselves created as, as a controlled demolition. Um, and understand that there is, you know, it, it, is it true that Russia and China are controlled opposition as is almost it's mostly hegemonic in the mainstream uh, alt media at this point. People who have recognized that there is an evil great reset have almost all come to the the consensus that not all, but I'd say the majority at this point have come to the consensus that Russia and China are in various degrees controlled opposition and there's really no choice. There's no there's no real viable fight going on against the empire. Um I I think differently. I think the evidence shows us that there actually is this this authentic fight. They're not controlled opposition. And maybe we'll we'll talk about some of that in the course of this conversation. But that's you know, and I hope people like it and watch it and share it. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'll pass it on to Roy, but I just really want to say that um, learning from you, your ways, and yes, as you were mentioned on how to really study documents, or it is making me really brave to when I'm in public do, during meetings of alternative people, okay, media. I'm. I, I get quick to raise my hand and ask the question, who is our enemy? <laughs> Why are we pointing it so far away? You know, so, so thank you for that. And uh, pass it on to Roy. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Matthew. It's uh, great having you back again. Yeah, thanks. So like with China and Africa, I mean, we know so many different things about the map and everything that they lied about the size of it, but China are really helping Africa now. Is there a hidden agenda? Are they going to be kind of controlled from Asia instead of the West with all they're doing with the infrastructure there? Um, hold on. I'm just going to show you. Can you guys see see that share screen I just did? I just did a share screen. Can you guys see that? Yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So the, the, the hidden agenda, there is a hidden agenda that is not talked about too much. And, um, it's, it's mostly this. Um, it's not even all that hidden, honestly. 
This is known as the African Integrated High Speed Rail Network, and it was first outlined in 2014 in the uh, African Union Development Agenda for 2063. Um, what you see there are nine different rail lines, some high speed, some conventional standard gauge rail, and a broader highway system, which is not illustrated here. This is this is specifically rail uh, that connects a lot of the capitals of the many landlocked countries within Africa who have been prevented from developing um, over the course of well over a century of, of Western colonialism. And China has been working, there's, there's literally thousands of projects that China has been funding in Africa, especially since 2014. Um, their trade has now gone up to about $200 billion of trade with Africa. Russia's is up to about $20 billion. It's about one-tenth. But China's is $200 billion, outpacing uh, Western trade. But the difference is when you look at the quality of the investments, it's not the same thing. It's not debt trap diplomacy. It's not Chinese Belt and Road imperialism as sort of the, the Western think tanks have been repeating. It's, it's qualitatively different. They have, on the one hand, erased a lot of the debts. Russia has also erased a lot of the debts owed by Africa. Um, but two, they've invested in things that involve uh, building long-term, large-scale energy transport um, and other infrastructure, hard and soft infrastructure systems. So this is um, the main rail driver right now that is is going to be coming online first is the uh, Djibouti to Dakar uh, East-West Rail Corridor that would be convertible into a high-speed, I think, a design. Currently, China has built the blue area here, which is the Djibouti to Addis Ababa. They've also built down a Mombasa-Nairobi uh, line in Kenya below that. That's already been built. And there's so deals that have been signed already to connect the, um, here's a closer view of it, the Mombasa-Kenya, uh, Mombasa-Nairobi line to connect it up to Addis Ababa, which itself, like I said, already it connects up to uh, Djibouti, which is a key Red Sea port that goes all the way up to, uh, to effectively Yemen. And now that there's a peace process that China has brokered between the Saudis and Yemenis after seven or eight years of constant war, um, this has created a new business climate to allow for investments into a long-awaited project that is being discussed once again. It was first moving forward before Qaddafi was killed. That was a project to build a tunnel or um, I don't know if it's a tunnel or specifically a, a bridge. It would be 26 kilometers long. It's pretty big. Um, connecting Djibouti into Yemen. No, so the, the Arab Spring, the murder of Gaddafi, uh, the war in Yemen disrupted a lot of these things. But now the discussion is back on track again in Saudi Arabia, having recognized that its future can only exist if it changes its way of thinking about its self-interest, right? Saudi Arabia has recognized that it's going to be flushed under the Green New Deal post-carbon age. Their whole economy is based on, on hydrocarbon production. Uh, they don't have an economy. They They were not permitted to have manufacturing in Saudi Arabia, their only oil extraction and terrorist financing, basically. <laughs> that's That's been their economy under the control of the West for many, many, many decades, since really they were founded by the British in uh, the 1930s as, an, as a, you know, a synthetic nation state. So now that they've been working and they're, they're becoming more active members of the BRICS Plus, um, as well as the BRICS Development Bank, that they're going to be playing a bigger role in. They're, they signed deals to build high-speed rail, the trans... Um, 
Arabian um, high-speed rail line that would be connecting uh, the Red Sea all the way up through here, through Saudi Arabia into uh, the UAE, Kuwait would be also, are also participating, Qatar, Oman, and that's about 2,400 kilometers and it would connect up into uh, Egypt via Jordan as well into the Mediterranean. Egypt is currently building a 1,200 kilometer high-speed rail line from Mediterranean into uh, the Red Sea on that level too. That would also open up the choke point of the Red of the the, the Suez Canal. This also is another key, these are two key choke points, right, of international trade. Something like one-fourth of the world's oil production moves through, through these uh, two areas. So if you can create a situation of economic development, that's a very good thing because there are those who would rather have these areas on, on fire to better uh, create scarcity and seize up the, the supply chains of the world in the bid towards you know reducing the global population. That's part of what's behind the rules-based international order. It's not just geopolitics, it's also population reduction. So these countries know that they've been they've suffered from it more seriously than we have, especially the Horn of Africa that has something like 240 million people and some of the greatest levels of poverty, albeit it has also some of the greatest resource rich, riches in the world, which have been lit on fire. Um, so Ethiopia is uh, has is probably the most sovereign of the African countries, and they've worked the the, the most closely with China as well as with with Russia. Because they've always fought off, they've, they're the only African country that's never been colonized. They've always fought off their colonial oppressors and and, and have been victorious, uh, whereas other African countries haven't been so successful. So they have more act like ability to do things like the Grand Renaissance Dam, the six thousand um, megawatt uh, hydroelectric dam that Ethiopia is ninety five percent finished. It's already producing electricity. That could be a driver for a an authentic industrial renaissance, the types of which we had last seen seriously being pushed by people like John F. Kennedy over 60 years ago when Kennedy was working with his pan-African allies to build things like the Volta River Dam in Ghana with Kwame Nkrumah, who was later overthrown by the same CIA operation and outfit that killed Kennedy just a couple of years earlier before that. And even to this day, the Volta River Dam has a plaque in honor of John F. Kennedy, who made that building of the dam possible. And since JFK's murder, that type of policy was never permitted once ever again in U.S. foreign policy towards Africa. China and Russia are both taking up that that charge. So anyway, there people look at the thousands of Chinese projects being built up in various countries, and they 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 tend to make the mistake of seeing it only as like piecemeal, like a little thing here, a little thing there, training, you know. Uh, Sudanese to build a, a dam on the upper Nile. Um, and th they don't recognize that, no, the, the way that most of the, the, the African leaders in the know, at least, as well as the Chinese and the Russians and the, the, the leaders of the multipolar alliance who are on board with this, they're looking at it from what we're, we're seeing here. This is an article I wrote for the cradle originally that goes through this in greater detail. Um, so this is a, a, effectively 11 countries that would be tied together, many of them landlocked, that would finally have access to massive trade. But also when you build a, a high-speed rail corridor, you're not just building rail, you're building a development corridor with industrial hubs, new cities, new energy hubs throughout the entire uh, perimeter of the, of the corridor. So stretching between 70 and 80 kilometers in either direction around the rail line is where you're going to have the greatest robust rates of development. 
I'd say the other thing is that, yeah, China's not doing this because they're angels. They, it's obviously simply just business, but it's good business. And it's based upon build, like not killing your business partners, not, not killing your customers, which is a lesson we forgot in the West. So in, in the case of China, they've actually done things like trained thousands. You could look at different case studies uh, in Sudan and Ethiopia where they have trained thousands and thousands of locals to learn the skills, get the trades, and then do it themselves, you know, so that they're they're taking the model of what pulled China from abject poverty in the 1960s into becoming an uber-modern society, which has wiped out uh, poverty in its own country. And they're trying, and they they did that in 30 years. They're doing, but it's that same process took us here in the first world country 300 years to do. So they're compressing time in in a, in a serious way, and they're trying to offer other countries that have been abused by uh, British and Western manipulation for for centuries the chance to do it as well. They're exporting their development model, and that's what's keeping a lot of these oligarchs up at night. Um, this is just Africa, you know. Like there there are examples of uh of these sort all oh, right here's the saudi arabia uh line that's currently being built high speed that would connect up into kuwait down into the uae and oman all the way down to salah as well as uh the connection that would go down through yemen into djibouti into ethiopia somalia and beyond so this is where you have like western proxies if you look at the 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 actual u.s foreign policy and uh, you know the, the national endowment for democracy that i already brought up has sponsors over 300 groups in Africa. Many of them are in South Africa, which is currently going to host the BRICS Plus Summit coming up very soon in August. Um, they're very weak. They're very pliable. They're very open for destabilization. There's a lot of corruption as well in the government that, have, that has been cultivated there by many, many years, especially throughout. I mean, it, it's 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 there's a science of creating corrupt governments. So that's a problem, despite the fact that there are also good people in South Africa that really want to um, look towards this new type of way of creating abundance and cooperation instead of war and riots. Ethiopia, you know, Newland has been to Ethiopia several times and every single time she goes, there's fires that, that happen. She's currently just landed in, in South Africa yesterday, actually. God knows what kind of fires are going to burn, but I, I understand why Putin said that he's not going to physically go to the upcoming BRICS summit. Um, and in, in uh, Djibouti, you know, that. Uh, sorry, in Ethiopia, they've had to deal with their own Western-funded uh, regime change in the form of the Tigray People's Liberation Army in the north, which has been working uh, elected government of um, uh, Abiy Ahmed, um, which fortunately, again, through the back-channel diplomacy and work of the Russians and the Chinese, this has been suppressed. There is now a reconciliation process going on, although it's still fragile. Sudan is currently being pulled back into a civil war as well. It was the Rhodes Scholars under, under Susan Rice and George Soros who originally um, weaponized the IC, the International Criminal Court that's also been used to try to create an arrest warrant on Putin, which is another reason why Putin said he's not going to go, because there's a lot of pressure on South, South Africa to arrest Putin because the ICC, which is not even recognized by the United States itself as an authentic, uh, you know, judicial body, has put has said he should be arrested for war crimes in uh, Ukraine. So he said, well, let's let's alleviate some of the controversy and the headache. And I'm just not going to go. I'll send Lavrov instead. But the ICC was originally used against President Bashir, the former president of Sudan, who was ousted in a 2019 coup. And 
that arrest warrant delegitimized him in the eyes of the international community and gave the, the, the support needed to Susan Rice to carve up Sudan into a north and a south, which is also behind the civil war that's, that Sudan is currently being pulled in into, despite the fact that they will play a very important role if they're able to keep their, their, their heads on in this massive development process there. China has, has already signed deals with Sudan to build 4,000 kilometers to rehabilitate over 4,000, sorry, miles of colonial rail that has fallen into disrepair because the British formerly controlled Sudan built rail, but only for the sake of looting Sudan of its resources. But China is, has signed a deal to rehabilitate and modernize their whole rail grid and also tie it into Egypt as well as into Ethiopia, as well as into the nations of the West. So all of these things are are underway. And you, there's a lot more I'm not even talking about here. But and just because I've heard there's a load of military bases, U.S. military bases in Africa. How is that yeah. going to kind of I mean, obviously, that's going to be a threat for both Russia and China. Yeah, absolutely. China has literally one military base in Ethiopia, and that's it. And that's to largely protect the uh, the engineer, the Chinese engineers working on the rail and other infrastructure in Ethiopia. Which that's one of the most dangerous jobs at this day and age. If you're if you want to get killed, uh, or you want to pay a lot of money on your life insurance, become a Chinese rail engineer working in Africa because these are people who are have a big uh, price tag on their heads. And they're the first to get killed by terrorist attacks that we now know are outfits run and directed by as U.S. proxies, whether it was in the case of ISIS or uh, the Boko Haram in Mali, which is a, a, a Malian branch of, of Al-Qaeda, which itself was created by the CIA in the 80s. Um, these, are, these are weaponized groups, much like the FLQ or the Red Brigades of, of, of terrorists, in, uh, of useful idiot terrorists in Europe and, and, and the West or the weather underground. In America, right, sending off letter bombs and mailbox bombs against American citizens as a bid to stop U.S. imperialism in the '60s. It was a weird, weird formula. But anyway, uh, these were all intelligence agency-run terrorist outfits, and this didn't change. This is still being used, and this is what is used to kill Chinese engineers and employees who are working in Africa. So there, they China has one military base. And a, and a military deal with Ethiopia to protect protect BRI related projects. There, um, Russia doesn't have too many official military operations, but they do have you know of the Wagner Group, which does unofficial military services to keep these governments from collapsing from internal strife, which is something that the West doesn't ever permit. They never permit for the security of a, of the sovereign, viable nation states of Africa to be beefed up against the insurgencies that are being promoted promoted by the West. So Russia does that service, and Sudan created a sin. They did a sin last year when they said to the Russians, well, we'll give you a, the Red Sea port on port, the port of Sudan on the Red Sea, which the U.S. currently enjoys uh, vast activities in that in that region, and they they don't want to allow for Russia to now be a part of that. So Sudan had to go down. Um, so yeah, you're right. You look at the map. Anybody can Google U.S. military bases in Africa and just have a look at there are hundreds of U.S. military bases across Africa and the Middle East, occupying nations illegally in many cases, uh, like in the case of Syria. They're they they're still just there stealing Syrian oil in all of northern Syria. They won't leave. <laughs> They're stealing their, the Syrian food. They won't leave. But um, but we're told that this these are the defenders of liberty and democracy, and it's the Russians who are the bad ones. So anyway, yeah. 
So, like, uh, with, when Putin met the African leaders, I don't know, was that in June? I, th- I don't know, was it 43 or 44 originally were supposed to meet, and then it went down to, I think, 17. So you may kind of touch on that, what it was all about, and why they went from 44 to 17 leaders meeting Putin. In uh, yeah. Sorry, I just had a really, took a sip of really bad coffee. It was, um, yeah, the, well, I think at the time you had, um, it, it was a little bit more controversial. There was, there was um, a little bit more heat around the ICC's arrest warrant, which was deployed. That was that was put out days before this meeting was supposed to take place in order to primarily um, put pressure on a lot of the, the African leaders to not meet with Putin, this war criminal. Um, some of them bent to the pressure, though I don't think anybody really wanted to not meet with them. It was just they had to bend to the pressure. Um, and a lot of these countries don't have a lot of sovereignty. You know, there's still Western mining corporations, which manage the majority of the, the economies, the IMF, the World Bank has a huge amount of influence on a lot of the African countries. Very few have the strength to stand up on their own, although that's increasing now. But um, but what we see now is, I think, uh, is going to be something which is a different picture now that you have the the second Russia-Africa summit happening today. It began yesterday. It's going to go on until tomorrow, I believe, um, in St. Petersburg, where most of the African uh, nations will be represented with very high officials going to Russia, meeting up with their counterparts, meeting up with Putin, and, um, and signing deals on uh, grain on energy, on infrastructure, on a whole bunch of military systems, a lot of things. So um, that's underway. That's happening right now. And I, I, I read Putin's uh, article that was published across all of the African press as sort of a manifesto for the, the current summit. And it's a good article. Really, really. So- it's the sort of thing that I, I, I felt it when I read the JFK speech at Stanford University in 1960 on the decolonization of Africa and the need to help Africa industrialize and get, get real economic independence. That's what JFK was saying. And it's a beautiful speech. And I, I was rereading it and I, and then I read the Putin speech and it's the same spirit. It's the same policy, the same understanding of the nature of the, of the dynamics of the fight. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a lot more constructive this time around than it was uh, when the ICC stepped in and tried to keep in mind as well, the ICC is funded by George Soros, right? It's a, the international criminal court is it's a Soros funded outfit. It's not a legitimate, authentic judicial organization in any way. And like you mentioned sovereignty a few times and like, you know, we've kind of looked at Washington DC for the military, the city of London, Vatican. Have you ever gone down that route as kind of, for us to break out of the system to get our own sovereignty. Yeah, well, I mean the the three cities. Uh, we, I, uh, there's a, a little bit of this has been a, a bit um, mythologized, I, I think, or oversimplified in order to give people a nice, satisfying narrative about the control centers and how it works of all human history. And I, I think that there is what I see when I look at Washington or or the Vatican or the city of London. Of the three of them, the only one that I don't see is having any, I, I find no examples of any authentic fight for the good in specifically the city of London. I cannot find a single example of goodness that is fought against the oligarchy at any point in my researches in history in the city of London. It appears to have been always rotten, and I might be wrong. 
Maybe there were some good good players at some point centuries ago. I haven't discovered them. The difference when I look at Washington's history or the Vatican history is that I find that in my studies, there has been many presidents, many people who have been able to rise through the institutions of the United States government, as well as within the Vatican as well, within Rome, um, to do good against the wishes of the inner, you know, satanic oligarchical hub that's otherwise always wanted the same thing that they want today. It's not a new thing that they want today, which is just reduce the world population, make us dumber, um, bring us into an identity not dissimilar from cattle, and, you know, create a, a crystallized absolute caste system of master-slave relations. That's all they wanted. That's not a new thing. That's, that's, that. so it, 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 this type of, of agenda sees as threatening the concept of mankind and womankind, I say the word capital, you know, human kind as made in the image of, of the creator. If you see the concept of your, of the creator, God, however you want to call God as a good, a loving, reasonable God that made creation imbued with his essence and with humans as the greatest expression of that self-aware essence of the creator as a creative, not just, not tyrannical creator. Cause you have that idea within church institutions as well, right? The, the tyrannical God that made us uh, to be obedient, you know, um, for good or for evil, just ob obey, you know? And if, if you're told to kill the children of Medea, uh, because that's the promised land that they happen to be living on, you kill the children of Medea. So says the, you know, certain stories in the Old Testament when Moses finally, or his people made it to the promised land, and they were, they were mandated by God to just kill. And they say, it, it's explicit, kill the men, women, and children of media it, because that's your land you're the chosen people like that's an, i'm sorry you don't i don't i don't i don't that's not my idea of god that i'm gonna that's that's something that i see written by human beings probably for geopolitical purposes but when you see if you have a concept of what i just said before the the the, the positive creative loving reasonable god who made us in his image then you will do things differently and empires will hate that um now there have been many popes who have gotten assassinated while they were in the office of the papacy if I look at what a lot of these popes were doing, uh, Clement, the, I think he's the 11th who got assassinated in 1773. Um, what was he doing? He, he expelled the Jesuits from Europe. Like he went to war because the Jesuits were created as a synthetic uh, pseudo-Christian cult, a mercenary cult that would be able to both protect the worst aspects of, of the inquisitional uh, papacy the papacy was always supposed to be something that would be used as a military force of influence for the forever wars financed by the 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 oligarch of Venice. Um, Venice was still at that time that the the Habsburg or that the the that the the Jesuits were created. Venice was still a, a primary intelligence cult control center as well as financial center and global controller of maritime trade routes um, throughout the Mediterranean as well as overland trade routes across the Atlantic is and 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 into Asia through overland uh, corridors. That was Venice for a thousand years. Venice was the top dog, or at least several hundred years. And they got total dominance when they overthrew their their sort of partner, Constantinople, with the sacking of Constantinople that, be, that came in waves. But the Fourth Crusade was the big one that and Venice came out on top, just owning owning it all. And they worked with some of the leading oligarchs of the Habsburg Empire. And it was when the Habsburgs took control of, of Rome in the 1430s 
that you had the creation of Ignatius Loyola's new cult of the Jesuits. So I, I see, and I, I wrote a book on this called the, Ang the, the Anglo-Venetian Roots, the Anglo-Venetian Roots of the Deep State, um, to go through some of the, the continuity for people of like how the leading families and leading cults migrated from ancient Athens to um, which also had, a, had hubs in, in Persia and then migrated to Rome, took over and des destroyed Rome the way that they destroyed Athens earlier, made it turned as they turned Athens into an empire um, and corrupted the minds of the leadership of Athens. And it, it set the seeds of its own of its own self-annihilation. They did the same thing to the Republic of, of Rome that just like Cic Cicero was killed. So was Socrates killed earlier in, in Athens that and Cicero was sort of the last um, fighter to defend the institution of the Republic of Rome as a republic, not an empire. So his murder, and he was a Platonist. He was a follower of Plato. Um, and so his murder set the stage of what Rome became as far as a, a, a satanic uh, new imperium run and managed by cults like the cult of Sybil, the cult of Gaia, the cult of uh, uh, Mithra Mitre, um, so many cults. And the Eleusian Mysteries were sort of embedded and enshrined into the Roman pantheon and Roman governing systems. The committee of 515 was sort of the committee that controlled the augurs, the, the seers, those who, you know, used astrology, reading of bird guts in order to make policy for the, the empire as a, as a whole. And, uh, and this is what ultimately Christianity rose originally, um, the authentic Christianity to undermine based on certain moral principles of dignity, of freedom, of justice that were incompatible with the type of hedonistic structure of norms that had to be maintained both for the masses as well as for the elites, for the empire to exist. Um, so, the, But the families were the same families. And many of the leading families today, I do see like, you know, you got the, uh, what's called the, the or Orsini family is one of the black nobility families who are very high up in the chain of command. We could trace their, their family lineage back to several several evil popes, a doge as a Venetian doge, as well as uh, a couple of Roman empire uh, emperors. Um, there there's these, some of these families are still in power, very high up in the chain of command. And, and, you know, again, there's many popes who did good, who fought, I see, and bishops and cardinals who fought against this parasite. And the way the empire works is that they will be able to, to take if you, if you can't destroy it completely, you infiltrate and destroy it from within. So they, they did that kind of with their attempt to, they're like, we can't, no matter how many Christians we light on fire or throw in with the lions, they just keep on multiplying. So let's just, if you can't beat them, join them, you know, let's, let's wrap ourselves in a Christian piece of clothing and we'll repackage some of our, <laughs> our pagan, you know, rituals with a new, with a new branding. And we'll try to sort of use it and, and, and extract what we can use and destroy what we can't use as much as possible from within the Christian garb, you know? So Christianity all of a sudden was used to justify crusades against the Turks and against the, the heathens, right? And, and Christians were killing Christians. Um, so it became an instrument increasingly in a perverse way used by empire, but good, there have been good people within the Catholic church who read the Bible and thought about it. And, you know, we're like, wait a minute, what we're doing is not compatible with what it's saying here in the book. Um, and they organized to do, to fund things like the golden Renaissance training of orphans, working for peace deals, working to undo the war policies at different times. Expel the Jesuits was a big one. 
um, expel the Freemasons, like the Pope, I think Leo the, uh, I always forget the numbers, but, you know, in the 1890s, you had an anti-Freemasonic Pope who uh, went to war with the Freemasons. Um, you had Pope John Paul II, who, uh, along with the murdered John Paul I, who you know, his story was told in The Godfather Part Three. That was a, that's that's a serious guy. He was in there for 30 days and then he dies. Right. Um, what, what were these guys doing? They were trying to uh, break the Cold War, especially John Paul II with his peace through development strategy, which is like, let's let's end the Cold War and mutually assured destruction by creating peace bridges of cooperation and peace between the uh, the 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 different sides of the Iron Curtain around development projects, especially within Africa focus. Um, let's build water projects, electricity, and obviously the Malthusian Satanists don't like that sort of thing. So they had to try to kill him, and he luckily survived. He almost did get killed and die. He was also trying to rein in the Jesuits, as was the previous pope who died after 30 days. Um, there, so, you know, you, you got this whole thing. I don't... And then you have the whole takeover of the Jesuits by the, of of the of the papacy by the Jesuits in 2013 by Pope Francis, which is sort of the big coup. And since then, I think anything good that I've seen in the Vatican historically, it's pretty much been purged at this point. There's very little within. There's good bishops, you know. There's there's good uh, there's good there's good some good cardinals, but even they're being purged and, and Jesuit useful tools are being brought in to replace them now, uh, as far as the electors of the, the Pope. Um, there's good priests that are still there. There's even on a low level, I'm sure there's good Jesuits, but the thing works kind of like a hierarchical, you know, um, it's, it's, it works like a Freemasonic hierarchy. So the higher you rise in the Jesuit chain of command, <laughs> somehow the, the more you lose of your humanity. So I, I know there's many good Freemasons out there, but they're lower. They're, they're, they're not brought into the privy inner echelons, right? They're, they're just good people who, and they've done good. And you can't understand the USA. It, it would not have been made, it wouldn't, the revolution could not have worked had there not been Masonic lodges used for a variety of purposes, especially intelligence, counterintelligence, sending messages, cryptid messages um, in a world that didn't have internet or telephones or anything like that. And, you know, the, the lodges were a useful way to have trusted people who are part of your a plot to advance and there send letters, communicate, coordinate policy, which had to occur with great coordination with the Irish. You had like 20 leading Irish generals who were working with the Americans and then tried to bring back the Republican fight against the British in the 1790s that unfortunately got subverted by the, the Orange Order, the British, you know, Anglican Orange Intelligence agencies that that subverted with the Jesuits, the, the Irish uh, freedom movement of the of the 18th century. But they were working in the 1770s to work very closely to make the American uh, example a success, as well as the French, um, the Russians, Catherine the Great, you know, um, the, the Indians, right? You had, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Hyder Ali, the, the Indian Muslim revolutionary who also worked through some of these lodges along with the French that were very active advising him to deflect the British shipping away from the uh, U.S. revolution and into India in the 1780s, which is what gave America the type of space it needed to, to carry out the fight against the British Empire. But they were all coordinating. The, the, the Emperor of Morocco, Sidi Mohammed, was a part of this as well. And he had to be... So the, the lodges were used partially for the utilitarian needs of communicating. Um, keep in mind, there's thousands of different lodges as well. It's not like one lodge fits all. Like the, the, the United Grand Lodge of Britain 
is a super evil controlling lodge that generated things like this, the, the later uh, Scottish Rite Lodge that was set up out of British intelligence of Char in Charleston, um, Carolina in 1801 as an outgrowth of the British imperial intelligence operations that had already been set up there before the American Revolution. And so they created the Southern, the, the, the Southern uh, Scottish Rite that was upgraded later on by Albert Pike and his uh, Benibreth associated uh, fellows who were working with Mazzini, with Palmerston in the, in the 1860s, 70s, carrying as part of the, the civil war in America to break up America again and undo it. So again, why do American presidents get killed? There's been American, eight American presidents who died while in office. They're the same type of spirit of, of seeing mankind made in the image of a creative, living, loving God as enshrined in the U.S. founding documents is something that animated the identities of people like John F. Kennedy, who worked within um, Washington and did good and they had to kill him. And, and, but so th there, there's a battle over the institutions. And again, a lot of the better Masonic lodges, whether in Europe or in the United States, most of them were purged, especially in Europe, most of them were purged by the 1815 Congress of Vienna. So if you look at like Mozart's lodge with uh, Schenkenader, who was the leader of the, the the Vienna lodge that Mozart was a part of, um, that that was a lodge that was at war with uh, I forgot his name now. There's a, the head of the Vienna secret police who was part of. Uh, it's gonna come to me later, I guess. Anyway, there's a battle of the lodges, and many of the the members of the Mozart lodge were assassinated, were either put in in prison or assassinated directly, including Mozart himself. Who, who said in letters to his wife, Constanza, that I've been poisoned. And that's when he was writing some of his most beautiful pieces like the Requiem or his Ave Verum Corpus. Because he was like coming to terms with his his mortality and immortality, right? Um, he's, so <clears throat> you had these guys. And, and after the, the Napoleonic Wars, unfortunately, um, there was a total crackdown. And the, the good lodges, I, I, I don't see many examples of... of of humanists maintaining influence within the European lodges at that point, they're mostly purged. Um, in America, I, I think there were still better patriots who were stable, still able to use lodges for intelligence and other, other reasons leading up to the early part of the 20th century. You know, Franklin Roosevelt was a member of the Northern cause you have the Northern and Southern office of the Scottish right. Um, the Southern is much more, insipidly like intrinsically corrupt the northern had different examples of some people who would opportunistically use it because you're from a um you know one of the the elite families so that's part of the um, the process of going into politics was in many ways in many times uh becoming a member of a lodge and um case the case was for the sake of of franklin roosevelt they made him like a grandmaster or something like four weeks it was like crazy whereas like look at for example so that was obviously like largely ceremonial whereas for somebody like a jagger hoover who it took him 40 years to become like a 33rd degree grandmaster of uh of the scottish right jagger hoover who ran the fbi that was like his whole identity was immersed he was a complete synthetic shell there was nothing authentic about that guy he worked so hard for to have his like life's mission gratified as being now inducted into the, the the higher mysteries which i don't think he was ever inducted into the higher mysteries he was too stupid cross-dressing fucking pervert anyway but you know like i could see like roosevelt i see him much more like a uh like a putin type of of personality type who is able to play the game act like he's you know 
uh, trustworthy by the by the deep state. And then when the opportunity to use power finally arises, then slowly start pulling the rug out from under their feet after they've created a mess for themselves anyway. Um, so the oligarchy kind of did that. They created a, a, a total crisis in their own governing structure by virtue of what they were doing to create the Great Depression. Not all of them were in the know, you know. <laughs> you got to use people if you're an imperialist. You got to use some people who are in the know, but most people who you have to use are not in the know and are ultimately flushable. And these are people who you can, if you're if you're a, a creative strategist who has a bit of influence, you can use those people like they've done for Saudi Arabia. You know, in Saudi Arabia is all of a sudden the leaders of Saudi Arabia, like MBS looks in the mirror and all of a sudden sees a little bit, a, a bit of Saddam Hussein looking back at him or Erdogan, you know, who played an evil game for many years, but then all of a sudden realized, oh shit, I'm not that indispensable as I thought I was. And, you know, has realized and realized at a certain point that he had to kind of change his way of thinking about what the world is and what his role is within it in Turkey in order to survive even. So that's the sort of people, even in the U S you know, governing class and the, in the business class, many business leaders who are billionaires today, they made their money illegitimately off of the rapacious age of globalization Chevron. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of cartels, Caterpillar construction companies, they did, they did shady business for 50 years of globalization. But, you know, when Mark Carney comes out or Christia Freeland saying for, for businesses who are prepared to make the green transition into the uh, decarbonized economy, you will be rewarded handsomely. And for those of you who fail to make that transition, you will cease to exist. These guys are like, say, what the, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> My whole economy is based upon like, you know, producing fossil fuels and like and so they're the ones who you'll tend to find as a bit of the uh, the wild card in the current game whether it's in Japan businessmen French French total uh, CEOs and, and directors uh, or in the US look at what was behind getting Donald Trump elected or even what's what's behind the current viability of getting a, a fight in the US it can't exist were it not for the influence wielded by a lot of members of the business community who are supposed to be flushed under the great depopulated New Deal so that's a that's a factor also behind what Abe was doing Shinzo Abe was doing before Shinzo Abe got killed. He was you know he's working with the business community signing contracts economically with Russia on building up the far east and arctic and getting in uh Japan into a situation where it would find its interests tied to both Russia and China who also had business deals in Russia's far east and 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 so it's the people don't think about the, the whole like battle around the private sector and, and, and entrepreneurial community, you know, including bad people, people who I would say are not good people, but they don't, but their survival instincts function. <laughs> and so they can be used for the, you know, Excellent. Listen, I think all them books that are around you went into your head and you're able to regurgitate. Incredible the way you can do that. But uh, I'd love to keep talking, but uh, I have to give Hartman uh, this day. So thank you very much. Okay, cool, man. Thank you. So, Matthew, it's a real pleasure to hear this. And this is, uh, wow, this is mind-blowing. Thank you so much also with the railways. Um, the interesting thing is uh, Siemens is establishing the railways in Egypt right now, this 1,200 kilometers, after they declared that they stopped their business with Russia. It was very interesting. So they said they stopped the business with Russia. Two months later, they got the, they got, they got the contract. It's that so, is interesting. 
That and what's also interesting about that too is because Siemens is also working on a project. That I mentioned the, uh, the the Red Sea Mediterranean rail rail line um, in in Egypt that'll also go. Uh, it'll touch on this new capital city that's being built up in Egypt as well. Uh, Russia's building the rail cars um, for that. So interestingly enough, even though they got the contract, they were permitted to get the contract by putting on a, a tough face on Russia. They're still now working with Russia. Indirectly. Off the, the, the power um, hungry. I mean, these are control freaks. The, the oligarchy wants total control. They don't like loose cannons uh, or variables. They don't control. And these are things that piss off the oligarchy completely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, um, oh, I have so much, I have so much in my mind. First of all, um, the interesting thing is with the uh, Freemasons, they were, in my opinion, I, I like to read the book from uh, Eric John Phelps, The Vatican Assassins. And uh, in this book, uh, he also shows that the SS or the, the Nazis were educated by the Vatican the same way like the Freemasons were educated by the Jesuits. It is the same, uh, it is the same, um, or two sides from both, from two sides from one coin. And uh, the interesting thing is uh, when you talked about Roosevelt and uh, I remember Churchill, Churchill was the first one who established the war on a new level in the second in the Second World War. He was the one who started to bomb uh, to make the bombardment on on the civil on the civilization on the on the civil per people, civil people. When Germany entered, for example, uh, occup um, conquered um, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, they attacked the military basements. And uh, this was, so far, this was the kind of war which was, um, which was accepted during the whole, whole history, that the military fights against the military. And this is that the civilians have to be secured or have to be out of this military but uh, with churchill with the bombardment of the civil of the of the cities a complete new area of of uh, of warfare began yeah yeah and, absolutely no I, I agree with you um yeah one thing i want to yeah. tell you about the vatican the, the vatican is so interesting first of all the the um the chinese Communist Chinese Party has to pay an amount annually to the Vatican. I don't know why, but they do it. And secondly, um, there was the whistleblower um, Karen Hughes from the World Bank. And she said that the secret service industry works together like the banks does, like the banks do. And in every year or one one time in a year they have to write a report to the vatican um i mean yeah i the, i don't know about about karen hughes i don't know um hughes h-u-i-d-s yeah i i will look more into her um 
and she's a World Bank insider. Um, for me, a lot of the the highest level World Bank insiders, like if if you're a, a whistleblower, um, your your life is about as as threatened as a Chinese rail engineer in Africa. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm always a bit weary sometimes because some of the high level insiders um, have become like Robert Malone and others, um, are very clearly in my mind, like I Malone is in my mind, completely proven to be a complete controlled, um, uh, I don't want to get sued by him as he's suing everybody who says anything bad about him. So n- not trustworthy. I'll say a nice safe word like that. Um, <laughs> and his collusion, uh, or his role in releasing, very dirty controlled narratives that I know are just infinitely full of lies and associating with sources who are his trusted friends in the FBI and intelligence community as his uh, purveyors of this. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. And I, anyway, so, but there's a lot, of, there's a lot of characters like him out there. Anyway, I'll, I'll look more into her and uh, I'll check it out. and I'll give you my thoughts. Um, what I do know is that there, that Pope Francis is at war right now. He despises Xi Jinping because they signed an agreement in 2018 that gave the Vatican um, a two-year or three-year amount of um, access to having a bit more influence for the first time over the Catholic Church operations in China, mm-hmm. um, mainland mainland China. Um, but it, but there was a promise to uh, keep that going, and what has happened is a reverse. So. There was a, a discussion years ago about like how the Pope would be allowed to appoint uh, cardinals and bishops in the, the Chinese church. Uh, China reneged. They were like, no, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> and so uh, there's, I, I use a few, um, there's like the church insider, uh, the militant Christian or the militant Christian. Um, there's a few decent websites dealing with church politics that I find useful um, but there's definitely a battle happening right now between the Jesuit-run papacy and Beijing. Um, and Beijing has been like working really hard to uh, extract all of the foreign-funded influential influence operations, whether it was like I mentioned at the beginning when I was doing my intro, Safeguard Defenders that's been putting forth this think tank in Spain. They were originally called uh, China Action. That was their former name before they rebranded. And they were set, they were set up in China until 2016, funded by the CIA. And they were kicked out. Peter Dahlin was kicked out. He was arrested, admitted to what he was being accused of, and then kicked out. And then he was told, oh, no, but they threatened me. And that's why nothing I said on camera admitting that I was a foreign agent was true. You know, but you're just saying that. Um, So China's been trying to purge a lot of the foreign-directed fifth columnists, both as individuals who have been embedded within Shanghai, within the Chinese business class, especially the Chinese Politburo and Chinese Party, uh, the Mm -hmm. Communist Party itself. Um, There have been... I wrote a paper on uh, The Last American Vagabond that I highly recommend people check out. And they just need to Google Steve Bannon and China's Deep State and, and my name. And you'll find it. And um, in it, I, 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 I list a big chunk of the highest level people. China has, has punished 4.6 million members of the Chinese Communist Party since Xi Jinping's crackdown began about nine years ago. Some of them are, include former justice ministers, two heads of, of Chinese intelligence, one head of Chinese uh, Interpol. Um, these are, if you look at what these people who have been punished, because because the, then, you know, the Epoch Times and, and uh, Steve Bannon say, oh yeah, he's 
he's doing a Stalin. He's just punishing his enemies and and making accusations because these are the freedom fighters of China that he's punishing. And it's like, whoa, 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 who are these people? <laughs> and then you can start doing do, very quickly getting a sense that no, these are this is the deep state of China that was created, um, especially in the 80s under George Soros and the CIA and the opening up of China. They created a whole class of traders trained in London and Harvard and then reset back to the uh, to China. The same was Yeltsin. Same with Yeltsin, yeah, uh, same thing. And and many of them were were kids of the uh, the 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 first generation revolutionaries who were sort of the princelings or prince princesslings who were given scholarships or at least given granted uh, access to these spas, these brainwashing spas in uh, Texas and New York, uh, run by things like the um, the Foundation for the Eternal Feminine, which is this weird Tavistockian organization which is run by a follower of Gregory Bateson named David Hawk. And he runs this thing. And I've listened to a few of his speeches online. He's a big cybernetics guru. And he he's uh, he created, he basically got a gift as he describes it in a cryptic story of like half a billion dollars by Chinese billionaires uh, who really just cared about the cultivation of their, their daughters who are going to be the heiresses of their fortunes. Because uh, the whole one China policy resulted in now a, a disproportionately large amount of girls who are going to be the the heirs to giant family fortunes. So uh, he's like, now I, we're able to like bring them to uh, these multi month long seminars and spas in my my compounds in Texas and New York. And you're looking at these things, and it's there's like weird pictures on their website of the Foundation for the Eternal Feminine of like dominatrixes, and it's it's all strange. It's it's and. Anyway, it's 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 a sophisticated psyop. Um, I'm very. Uh, this is very interesting what you say because um, in 2014, mm. um, when um, Putin took uh, um, took the island, uh, what's the name? I forgot it. Um, Sakhalin, Kremlin, uh, not Kremlin. Uh, what's the name? Oh, Crimea, Crimea. Yeah, yeah, Crimea. Uh, the interesting thing is. Uh, he was not only punished for that, because in that year, 2014, he put the Orthodox Church into power again. And according to uh, Eric John Phelps, the Orthodox Church is the real enemy of the of the Jesuits. They've been able and, to infiltrate a bit of it, but yeah, they, they hate that. They hate the Orthodox and, Church. <laughs> and this was for me for me a sign that um the the jesuits let's say it this way the communists um karl marx friedrich engels lenin stalin they were all jesuits and the communists um thinking was established by jesuits it it's i i look at more nuanced than that like um jesuits the high level Jesuits themselves, let's go back. So the way I look at it is they were set up as a Venetian synthetic cult under Habsburg control of Rome in yeah. order both to be the protector in one sense of the most reactionary forms of the of the papacy that was supposed to carry on an inquisitional war policy on behalf of the bankers in primarily Venice, but also somewhere in Rome. Um as well as to keep the Vatican itself in check. It was supposed to be also to ensure that there would be no more platonic 
Augustinian humanists who gained power within the Vatican channels itself. Um, so there, there was constant infighting going on. Um, they, they did focus on the schools, starting in Spain and then Portugal and then got into France and beyond. I'm, I'm from Quebec, so you can't know Quebec history if you don't know the, how the Jesuits mis like perverted so much of it. They're everywhere. They're, and they're, they're, they've got a really like slimy, creative technique about them, right? It's a lot of self-discipline. They are atheists. Well, at the at the upper level, the higher up you go, the the more they're 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 purged of their naive belief in the Bible, and they're they're led to believe no, there is a God. I think they actually do believe in a God, but it ain't the one that's in the Bible. <laughs> at the end of the day, um, but, but I wanted what what I want what I wanted uh, what uh, I wanted to emphasize is that there was a time in Russia, 2014, when. Putin became very powerful mm. and established the, let's say, a different power structure, which was not controlled by the West anymore so much. And it looks like that in China, it is the same, that the, China, that the deep state in China has lost its power. The, let's say the Western deep state, because... There, in Russia, you have three kind of deep states, yeah, um, the Jews and two other groups. And in China, I think you have also different deep state gr groups which are battling each other. You do, you you do have so-called. I mean, the question is, how do we define the terms deep state? I, it's a useful term that I've been using in the last few years, just because everyone's using it, and my. My thinking is I, I'm trying to infuse more contextual meaning um, behind mm -hmm. it, so it's not such an ambiguous word. Um, but what do you mean, like when you when you say deep state? How do you define the term? Deep state is uh, deep state is, for example, the state the the people behind the governments, of course, yeah, and uh, run by um, huge corporations or run behind. The military people behind the military. Okay, do you def do you in your in your idea of the deep state is it something which is only a negative force or could it be a positive force? I, in it my can view, be a positive force as well. Okay, so you're thinking about it in those terms. Okay, the situation. Uh, let's say it this way. Um, long, uh, a very long time. I, uh, for me, deep state was a negative. Uh, had a negative meaning, but I know now that there are also good forces at the same time, but they are completely hidden. They don't. They don't show itself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean the the way I I um there's a really good paper that I an essay written in 1978 by uh, Lyndon Larouche that I found really good and useful. Um, you might enjoy it. It's called "The Secrets Known Only to the Inner Elites." Have you ever heard of that paper? No. I'll, I'll, I'll email it to Grace and she could forward it to you guys. Um, it's very enjoyable. And um, I don't agree with every element, but it's like, it's like, it's a thorough essay, tons of footnotes, really good. Um, 3000 years sort of analysis with, with a good amount of detail um, with a focus on the, the battle th shaped th historically by different factions of so-called what we might call elites. One faction you could call, like oligarchy just means simply ruled by the few, right? 
it, 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 it's sort of a neutral term. What is the few? Is the few good people? Or are they evil people? Are they Satanists? Or are they yeah, are they actual philosopher kings? Like, what are these few? So you could have, um, I guess, one way of, of redefining elites, which is an ugly term. You know, it, it implies superiority, inferiority, um, is maybe something like open versus closed oligarchies. So one faction sees... Like, for example, um, Plato's golden, silver, bronze, soul um, hierarchy, right, outlined in the Republic. If you look at Plato and the Neoplatonists, because many of the, the 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 leading oligarchs of the last several centuries call themselves Platonists. They spend to, they, they, they speak well of um, of Plato's Republic. That's the Straussians that created the Neocons. That's the the Ruskinites who uh, created the the, the pre-Raphael pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, that's the, the Rhodesians who created the Rhodes Scholarship Trust, the Fabians, they all like speak well of the, how they're the gold souls, right? And then you got the silver souls of technocrats who will be useful. And then you get the bronze souls of the majority of the slave class who have to remain slave. Um, now, if you actually like read Plato and read the body, the corpus of Plato's dialogues, you start, you, you get a sense that Plato himself is not an oligarch because his very clear method is based on the presumption that everybody can become a golden soul by, by virtue of learning how to think about thinking and self-examining your own feelings, thoughts, desires, and assumptions. You can uh, hone your power of judgment to attain a love of wisdom that animates the shaping of your identity in the context of a broader universe that you can understand and reflect back upon. That's the play, the platonic method in its in practice. So it's an open, it, it could be considered an open oligarchy. So the, the true philosopher king is somebody who loves truth. They don't, they don't just have truth because they love, they love truth and they will be the first to tear down their, their own models, explanatory models that might've given them fame and money because they've discovered a crack, uh, a paradox when, 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 when testing their theories onto reality, they're like, oh, I will be the first to, if I'm an honest person and I love truth so much, I will tear down the thing that made me famous in order to generate a more appropriate, more perfect idea. Um, <clears throat> whereas the, the dishonest sophist will kill people who threaten to challenge the explanatory matrix that they're extolling that either made them famous or gave them money or influence or whatever. They will destroy creative thinkers who find the cracks in systems. So that's the difference between a sophist, simply somebody who says a sophist is somebody who I have wisdom versus a philosopher is somebody who Philo loves, like Philo loves sophist, uh, Sophia wisdom. Um, so the, the, in LaRouche's paper, he goes through the different battles that one can understand between those who are of the platonic Augustinian humanist sort of, um, well, who used political power to create improved cultural, political, economic, and also um, security climates that would be designed to accelerate the uplifting of people to a higher material and psycho-spiritual mode of being that would be more in alignment with their happiness and who they were as humans made in the image of God. Training orphans, giving kids the chance to have skills, building things like what da Vinci came out of as part of the building of the Brunelleschi Dome of the Santa Maria del Fiore of, of Florence. That's a beautiful structure that's still, you know, the world's biggest um, um, mason dome. Um, using techniques that Brunelleschi 
innovated, who was a teacher of, of Da Vinci and a whole network of people who became leading geniuses, autodidact Renaissance men who shaped the policies economically, politically, worked on peace programs and worked to create good conspiracies and, and increase the, the, the chances of having more youth uh, tap into their genius potential by creating um, schools, not just peace, because obviously you, when, when you're at peace, you can have a better opportunity to access your genius than if you were at war and, and, and in scarcity, right? So the material conditions have to be met, but then they would create schools, uh, the academies of science that were set up by Leibniz in Russia or in France that, that Leibniz also worked with as a platonic humanist Augustinian um, or in, in Prussia. In some cases, Jesuits I infiltrated these things um, in order to infest and pervert the institutions in order to create um, their own their own minions. But the way it works oftentimes, too, is that people have been known to come out of Jesuit-influenced environments and maintain their humanity, or they pick and choose, because human beings oftentimes were pragmatic creatures. We're not like computers that you could just so easily program like the MK Ultra programmers want to believe we are. <laughs> Uh, we often will have our conscience isn't something we can just get rid of. And sometimes people, oftentimes people will pick and choose what they like and don't like, you know, and they'll be like, okay, I can use this in whatever philosophy I'm being given. I can use this, but this is stupid. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that, um, you know, and that includes also religious texts. You know, I, I will, I'll focus on what I can use, what works for me, what resonates to my conscience and what doesn't, I will, I'll let, I'll ignore that shit. Um, you get that also with people who read Marx, because there, there's people who have done a lot of great good um, influenced by their readings of Karl Marx. Now, was Karl Marx, does that mean that Karl Marx is the cause of the goodness that was done by people who read Karl Marx? I don't think so. But there are things that are in his works that are true and useful and things that are not useful. <laughs> his criticism of British uh, exploit exploitation capitalism that's useful. It's a good, it's a good criticism, right? Um, his concept of like the need to, he, he, Marx doesn't like Malthus. Marx says we should never have depopulation because we should always be able to increase the productive powers of labor. Sure. Okay. Does he say how to do that? Not really. It's very ambiguous. He, he leaves it very open. Um, I may you interrupt know. you. Uh, this yeah. is very interesting because I had a very nice conversation with someone and I, and I said to him, well, it looks like that we get a communist regime in 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 Europe, and he said, "No, you won't get a communist regime in Europe. You will get a regime like Ukraine, because in a communist regime you have to work very hard." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, exactly. it's so funny because he is communist to the bone, and the interesting thing is how they see it, and they say, "Look." Well, for example, we have now we have now um, 80 glasses of sausages in uh, in a in a uh, in a store, but if you, for example, would take only the one who have the quality which which we had to the Soviet Union time, only three sausages sausage glasses would survive. The rest is all crap. Yeah, this is very interesting how they see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, so this is also this was also, also uh, and also um, the the state, the people were. It's so interesting in in the Soviet Union time, the people didn't have a lot of 
pleasure things, but they had knowledge, and the knowledge was the key. So the knowledge in the Soviet Union is much is much more advanced than in uh, than in the Western world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend as well who made a point. Her family grew up in East Berlin, and and you know she made a point that there was some of the greatest classical culture uh, promoted um, under the uh, the communist uh, days of of Berlin, um, uh, or Berlin being under communist influence. But they had access to like very cheap, high quality, you know, performances of Mozart and and Lessing's plays, and and some of the greatest just literature was was always present in the in their lives. Um, which again, this bring back, brings back your question of the or your your comment on the, the bombing of Dresden and Leipzig. Like part of the whole like attack on civilian centers wasn't just to break the civilians, but it was also to destroy the cultural heritage sites of Germany as a whole. Just the same way that they've done when when uh, the U.S. invaded Iraq and then Libya. The first things that they bombed were the infrastructure, break the civilians, but then the the, the museums, the heritage sites that connected those people to their ancient traditions that had to be destroyed to reset their cultural memory and undo the type of thing that would make them unwilling to become slaves. So the same thing Germany represented, I think something which, which Churchill was obsessed with destroying as far as like the greatest, most elevated um, arts, music, scientists, Riemann, I mean, Leibniz and Kepler and Kuza and, and uh, you know, Wilhelm Weber and Karl Friedrich Gauss. And I mean, shoot, man, like, and a lot of these guys were working the great scientists of Germany were also um, engaged in, in musical performances. Ma, you know, Max Planck was, was a concert pianist and, and he would perform with, with, with Einstein um, together. They would perform Mozart and Bach together as part of their, their creative process of resolving the, the solutions to the mathematical uh, problems in physics that were arising that they couldn't solve logically. They had to shift gears, go to music, go to Mozart, and both of them would talk about their relationship to the violin and to the piano and to Mozart very yes. deeply, which yes. has crushed. So, I mean, the the the, the Dresden bombings and 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 the destruction of these these important cultural heritage zones. This is this is the target of a war. The target of a war is uh, you have to destroy a society within from within in order to create a new society which is more controllable mm -hmm. and this changed for example the 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 let's say it this way the the germans during the second world war you cannot compare them with with the germans we are now definitely not and uh, and in, in this moment in europe uh, we are going to have um soon a civil war and this civil war will also make such a crush in the society that they can bring a solution like the like the 15 minute cities yeah it's concerning to me too as well i mean yeah if you if you look at the um the interesting thing with um with the cia in in, in after after having done so much abuse to the german people there was another phase of the war against German culture with the, the CIA. They had a program um, called the Congress for Cultural Freedom. You ever look into that one? No. Oh, that's a wild one. That's a big one. It's a, 
it was basically a denazification program uh, to promote arts and education that were uh, reflective of the free and democratic rules-based order that they wanted to bring online in opposition to the authoritarian order of the arts and education of the, the communists that was supposed to be defined as like a conclastic and rigid, that's commie art. Um, and then the free art was going to be, and it was all the Frankfurt School. So a lot of the, the same people who school, yes. gave rise to the Frankfurt yes. School reforms were there active in the, in the Congress for Cultural Freedom. And, and here I also include people like uh, Trotsky's former assistant James Burnham, who was the godfather of the neocons, who was a leader of the the Frank of the Congress for Cultural Freedom. Arthur Kistler, who was also uh, a CIA funded propagandist and a very sophisticated operator. And um, all these and all these um, teachings have destroyed the family values in whole Europe, in the Western Europe, not yeah. in in the East Europe. In Eastern Europe, there are there are more traditional values still but um, many let in in Europe I, I got the impression Germany was the prototype for example also with the companies and the passports etc personal wise and then by the um, by the Lissabon treaty all the European Union members became a a state like Germany yeah and yeah. uh, also the the culture and um, let's say the the focus on narcissism mm -hmm. was increased. Yeah. Yeah. Is... Well, I, you know, people should really look at the like. A lot of people are perplexed as well by like how the the so-called like anti-imperial left has converged to become the hardcore right-wing pro-Ukraine Nazi supporting like sort of fascists who are all for lockdowns and things that, are, that smell a lot of the sort of thing we saw in the 30s and 40s. Um, and like, how how could these greens become so like hardcore neocon? And it's like, it's very natural because if you look at the actual Nazi high command, um, look at the Wundervogels. Like most of the, the leading players within Nazi high command, Goering and others, they were part of the Wundervogel moment, movement of the like 1909, 1910, 1912, 19, all the way up until World War I of these like proto hippies who would like do early um, like psychedelics and have have orgies in the Black Forest and go on like nature walks. And Hermann Goering was the Minister of Conservation of Forestries, uh, Forestry Conservation of Germany. I mean, it was a big, there was a, a book called How Green Were the Nazis. It was a, it was a, an ideology of nature worship of Mal Hitler spoke openly about Malthus as being the great uh, thinker of the, uh, the modern era. He was actually a Malthusian openly he followed British Malthusian uh, doctrines of overpopulation, other things I, I mean, I've read the, the citations by Hitler's own, own hand um, eugenics that he loved so much that, that professed to have like this Uber, Uber and unterhuman uh, dichotomy was was based entirely on British eugenics, British Galton. This is all British science that was then funded by the the Macy Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation. Um, they funded, you know, uh, Mengele. They funded uh, Ernst Rudin uh, in order to bring in something that that most Germans before World War One, even after World War One, thought was just reprehensible. The idea of eugenic science was not something popularly accepted, but they they funded it like like crazy. Uh, to ensure that the political enforcers of it, who are themselves like, again, proto-hippie nature worshippers, hedonists, who are then part of things like the, you know, the theosophists 
of, of Madame Blavatsky. My wife is writing a book on this, so she's briefing me on what she's reading every day. And it's just blowing my mind. But the theosophist movement of Blavatsky and Annie Besant and Alice Bailey, who were effectively Luciferians, um, working with the Okrana, the, the Russian intelligence operations that were themselves created at the same time as the KKK Freemasonic intelligence operations were created in the Confederate South, both of which were created to destroy the, the good that was being spread by Tsar Alexander II and Lincoln, who were both, you know, fighting to free the serfs, free the, the slaves, and spread a system of development, of win-win cooperation around rail development internationally, funded by national banks, protective tariffs. So these secret society, these, these lodges were created with, to create secret intelligence, secret policing operations that then interfaced with these cults, these synthetic cults like the Theosophists of Blavatsky. And she had there was there were two there was there was two breakaway movements that then took a lot of the same methods of the Theosophists of Blavatsky that tried to basically integrate the worst elements of Hindu mysticism, the worst elements of like uh, Kali worship, the you know, the 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 Hindu god of uh, of of death of the assassins and and of child sacrifice that Kali that's carrying the human head. They want to take the worst elements of like that they profiled of India incorporated it into some weird synthetic Western fusion and then create a, a, a sect of, of mystery religions. Now, the, the, the branch that broke off uh, for the Wundervogels was called the Ariosophists by this guy Otto von List, who was a follower of Blavatsky, and he created the Ariosophists in order to take all of that and then repackage it for uh, a Viking rune uh, worshipping sort of agenda and that became the basis of the Thula Society, the whole like occult black magic mystery school that was the inner echelon religion of the, the satanic Nazi high command. It's it's it was exactly what there's another breakaway one that was it seems cultivated for the Christian ear, um, which we don't have to talk about right now. But <clears throat> the um the the Ariosop, this whole thing was based upon a hardcore synthetic cult creation that was used to create the Jesuits, used to create the Rosicrucians. Uh, it was used by Albert Pike. It was used to organize the Young Europe movements of anarchist mobs that would destabilize Europe from the 1840s all the way up until like the, the killing of Archduke Ferdinand, the synthetic anarchist cells. In fact, I was just reading, a friend of mine sent me... Um, um, a movie by Alfred Hitchcock from 1930 called The Man Who Knew Too Much, 1930. Not the later edition, but the 1930 edition with Peter Lorre. Watch that movie. It's available for free on YouTube. It basically, I don't know what the hell Alfred Hitchcock was on, but it's its solid. It's a good movie. And it, the whole thing takes, the, the story is a guy who's like with his family on a ski trip and he stumbles, somebody gets killed who's an intelligence officer and he stumbles across a note that, that features the evidence of, of a statesman who's supposed to get assassinated by a hitman in Britain at the Prince Albert Theater. <laughs> and uh, the, and what he ends up walking into is a church that masquerades as a, as a Christian church. But then when he's sitting down with his friend trying to hunt down his daughter, he discovers that it's it's an occult mystery school. and They're doing a, a rite of initiation for initiates. And he's like, what the hell is this? And it turns out that this multi-billionaire businessman played by Peter Lorre, who's like funding this whole operation, is actually organizing anarchist cells managed by a mystery school <laughs> with a surface appearance of being Christian, but not really. 
to kill leaders in order to stoke the fires of war to to create a new war between two states that we don't define in the movie. Um, really interesting stuff. Early Alfred Hitchcock. I think later Alfred Hitchcock, he he loses his mind and becomes corrupt. But the early Alfred Hitchcock movies are fantastic. I've seen a few of them now, and they all do this. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's a, it was a real pleasure talking to you. And I pass it to Grace because we, yeah, because of time. Thank you so oh, much. Oh yeah, Trey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're on mute, Grace. You're on mute, Grace. Grace. Grace, you're on mute. You're muted, Grace. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I thought I unmute myself. But anyway, thank you so much. And let me read a few of the comments, and then you answer it uh, how the, the way you wanted it. He says, he said, please ask him about the real Illuminati. Can he name them? When you talk about the deep state, who do you think the key person or persons running it? Then also... He he wants to know who the captain of the ship, <laughs> okay. the deep state. And then, of course, they said, oh, I wonder why Matthew is still in the corrupt Canada. If he would pick a country that is most free, which ones would he pick? All right. So um, for the first, the second part first, um, no, my, my wife and I, we, you know, it's not bad enough for us to leave yet. Um bad but uh you know what i run a magazine called the canadian patriot review and uh i get a lot of messages every day from a lot of people who write to me thanking me for giving them courage and i feel like it would be weird if 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 we if we jump ship um at this moment um so there's that uh certainly russia china are are some of the countries that are that are being managed right now by adults um that are attractive so I, I if you have the ability and you, you're looking for a place I, I have a friend tim kirby who's um a, an american who's been living in russia he's a geopolitical analyst and and he's uh right basically trying to drive a project called the american cities project for expats trying to um leave their otherwise backward morally defunctive defective uh, countries um, and settle in Russia. So um, Tim Kirby, Russia. If you just Google that, you'll you'll find his Telegram, his his, his channels. You can write to him. Um, so yeah, but in my view, things still have to get worse and some a lot worse. Uh, though I have friends who have said like, hey, why don't you just do this? Like, come on, you know, we'll 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 help you out. And uh, no, we're we're not there yet. Um, that to say, the first part reflects a little bit like. At the beginning, when I was saying, when, when my wife and I were trying to figure out how we could set up and why we should set up our Rising Tide, Tide Foundation with the education uh, curriculum focus, uh, I said, you know, it, it it's not what you think about the details of any trivia or facts that matter more than how you think about everything, which I'm trying to allude to the fact that there's like noun thinking and, and verb thinking. Um, Process-oriented thinking has is harder but more satisfying and i think more valuable at the end of the end of the day because there's so many people who get obsessed with the nouns the stats the the statistics the trivia who killed jfk who were the three shooters what were their locations who paid for the three shooter the three triangulated shooters that killed john f kennedy and they've written books and books about this and 
And certainly, like, it's not that it's not useful. You know, I, I brought up one family uh, line called the, the Orsini family, who's which is one of, of several dozen high-level black noble, like, and I say, I don't mean Shaka Zulu when I say black noble. I mean, like, <laughs> like members of the black nobility, the, the higher European, um, pure, cold, uh, what, what do you call it? What? The closed oligarchy, the golden souls, the self-professed golden souls that want to keep their blood pure. And by the way, untainted by even Jews, because if when you look at the um, the the bloodline or the the family um, trees of even like the Rothschilds or the Sassoons or the Montefiore families, um, I say this because a lot of people are like, it's the Jews. It's yeah, they're actually not allowed to marry up beyond a certain like uh, glass ceiling. They can't contaminate the upper bloodlines. So these are actually. Uh, even going back to the days of Pharaoh, you've always had this weird construct of the or phenomenon of the satanic court Jew who's willing to just do the bidding of master um, and, and play the role of a financial mercenary, giving out usurious loans, other things, but never as their own their own agency. That's a, an important factor in how this whole like structure of evil <laughs> has been sort of organized over thousands of years. So that's an important just thought to just have there. But yeah, I'd say the Orsinis get you probably closer, as close as you probably want to get to understanding the names. But again, it's not as useful to know the names as it is to know the process of like the essence of oligarchy. Because if you got rid of the current names, if people have tolerate the medioc mediocrity of the cultural norms that we have allowed ourselves to get pulled into, um, and the mediocrity of, of just life in general that that is we would just end up getting a different set of manipulators with different names who would just come in and pull the same strings that we didn't identify in, inside of our heads and they do it all over again so it's more important to cultivate the the how to think about the essence of things the way plato does in his dialogues which is i always encourage people to get it to lean into the discomfort of the unknown but in a responsible way. And, and Plato's dialogues are a wonderful, like mental metaphysical muscle building tool to s learn how to smell paradoxes and press your theory up against reality to see where the cracks are and then generate better hypotheses that resolve the paradoxes or the ironies. So smell ironies, smell paradoxes and use them in your own life to investigate things as well as shape plans that you have for what you're going to say or do when you intervene at a town hall meeting or a school, a school meeting with the school board or organize a, um, a, a meeting of, of fellow patriots. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be object fixated. You can't be noun fixated, be, be causal oriented into the essence of things. Uh, that's, that's what I would say to that question. Thank you. And that's very helpful. And we have so much to digest. Um, you want to tell them, the audience, again, where to get in touch with you and whatever highlight that you wanted to share. Well, I I, I will put everything, of course, in the post notes, and I'm doing hmm. the ticker so people who like video can see it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, buy my books. If, if you want to know more about the details of some of the, the stuff I've brushed on today, um, Volume one to four of the untold history of Canada is a pretty good start, um, which is global. It's not just Canadian, but it, it is reconstructing Canadian history from this broader standpoint. And then the volume one to four of the Clash of the Two Americas, 
Um, I showed you, I showed the picture of volume four. Uh, Where's Anglo the best Bruce. source, Matthew? Where's the best source for them to buy it? Uh, well, go to CanadianPatriot.org and you see little images saying, buy my books. And, you know, you can buy them straight from the website as PDFs or you can go through Amazon. Uh, I know it's just, they make it very user friendly. So I just use them for now. Um, or if you want to sign copy, write to me at uh, info at risingtidefoundation.net. And I, my wife and I could send you, my, my wife co-wrote these books with me. Um, we could send you a signed copy. Um, also we did two volumes. We're releasing volume two of breaking free of anti-China psyops. It's, um, two full big, uh, special reports we've done just taking a lot of the tropes that have been circulating to, to turn us in to, to ba basically stir up fear porn around China is, and just dismantling them. Like what I, what I went through at the beginning about the police stations, we did this about a whole bunch of other tropes to Uyghur genocide, uh, debt trap diplomacy. Uh, what about China's idea of sustainability or essential banking? Is it the same thing as the, as the banking ideology of the Davos crowd or is it different? It's yes, it's different. Uh, so how is it different? Um, so we just break down a lot of these things using a lot of history, and, and those are also available on CanadianPatriot.org. Uh, lastly, I'd say the Substack is useful. Oh, yeah, my wife also. She wrote her, her, her book, her first book, uh, The Empire on Which the Black Sun Never Set, um, Anglo-American Intelligence Behind the Growth of International Fascism. That's going to be volume one of two. Volume two is going to go into the occult more. But this volume one that goes into the roundtable origins of the growth of modern fascism and these things, it's really a scary good read. That's also on CanadianPatriot.org. Substack, MatthewArrett.substack.com is how to, to follow my work. And finally, RisingTideFoundation.net. We do weekly seminars. We're going to have stuff on the uh, Science Unshackled this, this Sunday starting up. So um, people can, uh, can either become a, a paid subscriber and get get all of the invites to the live lectures or uh, send me an email to info at risingtidefoundation.net and I'll put you on the the invitation list to get the the Zoom live events. Well, there you are. So all the information you can't miss it. It will be it's all included in the podcast and also in the post notes and yeah, please reach out to me if you still have other questions and I'll forward it to Matthew and thank you and thank thank you I'll extend our greetings to Cynthia and we'll talk to you again in the future and please to everyone please share please share like and do everything that you can do so we can all co be co-educated and co-understand everything that's what's happening and not be scared thank right you on.